It's Wednesday, December 13th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Today, Hunter Biden addressed the media in the face of a Republican subpoena that would require him to testify behind closed doors. You can see why he's suspicious of the things Republicans might be interested in when the doors close. They displayed naked photos of me during an oversight hearing. Biden fills, it's actually pronounced fees, I think, you know, son in French, disassociated himself with Biden pair and landed on a bit of a characterization of his father's tastes in oil painting. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. I'd rate those assertions true, 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 mostly true, possible, and true. Though without the Biden name, Hunter wouldn't have been hired. Then again, without the Biden name, Hunter wouldn't be facing prosecution if you look at others who've committed his crimes and what the law does to them. Hunter Biden's public statements probably won't do much to dissuade the Republicans from their tactics. They do have the right to require such a subpoena. And as they point out, Donald Trump Jr. did testify behind closed doors himself. And then Hunter spent some time establishing that unlike Oakland, of which Gertrude Stein says there's no there there, Hunter was here. You hear? For six years, I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, Where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. You can't disagree with that. Hunter Biden's pronoun is here. Here, here. For their part, the Republicans say they don't want to hear filibusters. That anti-speechifying point came from Representative Jim Jordan. You know, we're disappointed that he didn't show up. I mean, he was just across the way at the Capitol. You think he could have come here and sat for questions. If you do it in an open format now, you're going to get you're going to get filibusters, you're going to get speeches, you're going to get all kinds of things. And then as if to emphasize the all kinds of things, Marjorie Taylor Greene chimed in with this concern. I would like to have asked Hunter Biden about man act violations, sex trafficking women across state Thank you all very much. Thank you. That would have been a good question. You don't seem to care. And then you hear Jim Jordan, as with his main quarry, shutting down any possibility of an open hearing on those particular points. On the show today, as Congress is insisting that Hunter Biden testify, it seems less concerned with saving the entire country of Ukraine. But first, in 2019, a very surprising song went very viral. It blended genres. It upset the old guard. It thrilled the youth. It launched the career of a bona fide star while simultaneously rekindling the career of a fading legend. Can you guess what it was? This is called a tease in the business, my friends. Chris Malamphy is up next with the answer. Can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the hotel road. I'm gonna ride 
Old Town Road is a phenomenon, but it's also a really good song. And that I don't want to do too long an intro for this next book called Old Town Road. It is by Chris Malamphy, frequent guest of The Gist. And it is part of this wonderful series called Singles, where an author, what the, what a pairing of author and song, where an author contemplates everything there is to contemplate about one song. And by the end, you're edified in ways you didn't even know possible. It's the exact effect of Chris Malamphy talking about Old Town Road, which he will now talk about with us here on The Gist. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. Long time no see. How you doing? Ah. Uh, well, we say see, but you know, the listeners only know that we speak. So we are, I am looking at you and I see 3,000 CDs behind you. Is Old Town Road in one of those jewel cases? No, it is not because Old Town Road was mostly a streaming phenomenon when it hit number one in 2019. And I own an MP3 of Old Town Road. In fact, I own more than one remix of Old Town Road. Yeah. But I do not think I own Old Town Road on physical media. Well, let's get to that. A streaming phenomenon that you we've talked about this a lot and that has changed the charts. But sure. without, well, I'll ask it this way. Was there something about the interplay between how streaming works, like TikTok and YouTube, and the song itself, or the visuals uh, associated with the song that propelled it further than just the audio of the song might have appealed to people otherwise? Yeah, I would say that Old Town Road is a quintessential streaming era hit. Without streaming, it would not have become the blockbuster it became. And you mentioned the visuals in a way... When Old Town Road took off at the end of 2018 and early 2019, the visuals were mostly being provided by other people. Right. This is really the first major hit to blow up on TikTok. We're now about five, six years after the launch of TikTok in America, when TikTok has made numerous hits. In fact, just this week for Slate's Why Is This Song Number One series, I'm writing about a Jack Harlow number one hit that first broke on TikTok before it broke on radio. So it's quite common for hits to break on TikTok. But back in 2018, TikTok was still a fairly new phenomenon and it hadn't made any real serious hits before Old Town Road. But Old Town Road, partially because it is just so much fun to play cowboy, Old Town Road broke because lots of people, including a specific Patient Zero, uh, a TikTok user who th heard the song and thought it was funny and thought it would be hilarious to jump into his cowboy gear when you hit the line, I got the horses in the back. The, he started the phenomenon of people doing the yeehaw challenge and jumping into their cowboy gear when they heard Old Town Road. And that helped propel the song on all of the metrics that do count for the Hot 100, uh, including streaming and YouTube and all of that. And I would say that, and you talk about this in the book, if our means of uh, being exposed to music were controlled by the pretty rigid categories of either country music or hip hop music, it might've gotten lost. But since TikTok is the opposite of uh, a gate kept uh, or organism, since it opens the possibility of country fans and hip hop fans and fans of just music who aren't so wedded to genre, it was, uh, particularly well-suited to TikTok, more so than it would have been if radio, if it depended on radio for its success. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, really, Old Town Road is a song that kind of defies genre categorization. It is 
a pop famously song. or infamously <laughs> infamously exactly it is a pop song it is a hip-hop song it is a country song i would say and more than anything i often joke that lil nas x's genre isn't any of those previous things i just said it's it's internet he seems to understand what will go viral and he seems to have a skill for it this is a kid who as a teenager sort of learned the folk ways of internet and social media culture he was a Nicki minaj stan uh he tweeted decked uh, among the barbs, the Nicki Minaj fan group for several years, and he sort of learned what would make a hit go viral. And when he first heard this Nine Inch Nails song that had been transformed into a beat by a Dutch DJ, by the way, this is Trent Reznor's only number one hit as a songwriter, uh, he immediately thought to himself, you know what, this sounds like a country song. I bet I could, you know, make this something funny. And I often say that one of the things that uh, Old Town Road also is, is a novelty record. And that's not an insult because Lil Nas X was trying to make it funny. He wanted to make that song go viral. And so he intentionally, you know, despite the fact that he is a Southern black man from Atlanta, Georgia, he intentionally kind of put on his best corn pone cowboy accent and, you know, leaned into the funny. And that is part of what made Old Town Road take off the way it did, more than any single genre affiliation. And he was a computer science major for a time, and he was pretty well known as a Nicki, having this Nicki Minaj account, which I think got uh, suspended, but suspended for, you know, his aggressiveness. So this was, this was, even though everything's an accident, it was an intentional accident. You know, if you had asked Lil Nas X his wildest dreams, he probably wouldn't have said, or Montero Hill. Uh, uh, he wouldn't have predicted it would go as big. But if you had asked him, okay, what's the game plan? He probably would have charted out something like this. Yes, that's right. I mean, he, you know, when he posted Old Town Road on social sites and streaming sites, he even kind of sock puppeted a little bit by going on places like Reddit and saying, hey, what's that song that goes, I got the horses in the back? He was very expertly trying to, you know, make fetch happen, as it were, except fetch (laughs) actually happened. Old Town Road really did take off. And that's what made the song a phenomenon. He he kind of mapped out, he knew what parts of the song people would find funny and what would make them want to mess with it and, you know, kind of turn it into their own tabula rasa, if you will. Is the Nine Inch Nails sample, is the beat that he bought on just the, the, some beat selling platform, are those as important as the Billy Ray Cyrus element? I would say it's all of a piece. Um, The Nine Inch Nail sample is itself not a very normal Nine Inch Nail song. It doesn't sound like Trent Reznor's normal, aggressive alt-rock. It's from an album that Reznor released in the late aughts called Ghosts, in which he released the tracks under a Creative Commons license. There's little to no vocalizing on that album, and he basically was inviting the internet to mess with it, and mess with it they did. And this one track that was buried on disc four of this four-disc set uh, called Ghosts um, had kind of a twang to it. It's a banjo plucked so gently that it almost sounds like a Japanese koto. This Dutch teenager who calls himself Young Kyo heard that through a bit of a beat behind it, sped it up just ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. 
and threw it on BeatStars, and that is what Montero bought from BeatStars and turned into Old Town Road. Ain't nobody feel me So then we refer to, we use the word infamously, what's the genre? Take me through that, that the country music charts, and we'll get to who are the country charts? What is that institution? Who's the gatekeeper? They were resistant to Old Town Road. They were. And when Montero, the young Lil Nas X, released this song to streaming services, he tagged it as pop, he tagged it as hip-hop, and he also tagged it as country. And when it started organically blowing up in the early weeks of 2019, Billboard dutifully allowed it on all of those charts. It appeared on the Hot 100, it appeared on the R&B hip-hop songs chart, and it appeared on the Hot Country songs chart for one week in the latter case. And it was only after it had appeared on that chart that folks in Nashville, they've never been specifically identified, went to Billboard and said, uh, this ain't a country record. And Billboard had two choices. They could either leave Old Town Road on the chart, in which case, because it's basically just a mini Hot 100, it would have immediately leapt into the top three and would have been number one on that chart for something like five or six months. Hmm. And this I'm not saying this because I'm a soothsayer of any kind. This is the simple way that the data works. I know, based on how it performed on the Hot 100, how it would have topped the, con- the country songs chart for months. They could have done that, or they could do what they actually did, which was yank it off the Hot Country Songs chart. And when asked why, Billboard had to make a statement that uh, it, quote, does not contain enough elements of today's country music to qualify, which led to a firestorm in the press over, well, who determines what makes a song qualified for the country charts, which then led to a firestorm in the mainstream media. Everybody from the New York Times to the New Yorker to Rolling Stone magazine weighed in saying, well, who decides what is or isn't a country song? Um, and what are your motivations for pulling this? Is it because Lil Nas X is black? Is it because he didn't work within the Nashville system? These are the thorny questions that are raised by the yanking of Old Town Road from hot country songs in 2019. And one last point, what's interesting too, is that when this happened, it raised such a ruckus in the media, like it was even covered on like the nightly news and stuff. Yes, yes, that was gonna be my question. Didn't it wind up helping him a lot more than uh, being not being punished would have? Exactly, it kind of made, if I may quote one of the critics that I quote in the book, I believe it was Lindsay Zolads, it turned Old Town Road from a meme into a cause. It made people sort of root for Lil Nas X because he was kind of being done wrong by Nashville. And that only fueled the fire and made people consume Old Town Road that much more. You also mentioned the Billy Ray Cyrus remix. It should be noted that Old Town Road got to number one in its original form, which was just as a Lil Nas X song with no Billy Ray Cyrus content. Mm -hmm. However, very quickly, 
He put a wish into the universe. Somebody helped get me Billy Ray Cyrus on this. Funny story. The only reason he knew who Billy Ray Cyrus was, he's, he was not a fan of country music. He didn't know who any of the stars of country music were. I'm going to guess it was maybe his daughter. <laughs> yes, exactly. He knew who Miley Cyrus was. And specifically, right. because Montero was born in 1999 and was watching kids' television in the aughts, he watched Hannah Montana. And on Hannah Montana, not only did it feature Miley Cyrus in her breakout role, but it featured her father, Billy Ray Cyrus in the role of Hannah's father. And so Billy Ray Cyrus was basically the only country star Lil Nas X knew existed. And so Lil Nas X puts this wish into the universe and Billy Ray Cyrus, to his credit, takes one listen to Old Town Road, the original version, and says, wow, damn, that's original. I would love to be a part of that. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse through the Old Town Road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my And, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus was not at the height of his popularity in 2018, 2019. So he's leaping onto, you know, a fast moving train. But nonetheless, he kind of saw the wisdom of helping Lil Nas X stick a thumb in the eye of Nashville, basically making the subtext of the argument text and saying, okay, if if this white guy in a cowboy hat comes on this song and throws in this verse about hat down, cross town, living like a rock star. Hat down, cross town, living like a rock star. Spend a lot of money on my brand new guitar. Baby's got a hat. But diamond rings and Fendi sports bras Riding down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car Now is it country enough for the country charts? And spoiler alert, Billboard never put it back on the country charts. But nonetheless, it did raise some very interesting intersectional questions about who the hell determines what is and isn't a country song. Yeah. Now, when they, whoever the they is, originally said not enough elements for country, that also allowed people who are musicologists or just fans of genre to pick that apart, to argue with it, but also in some ways to clarify and educate the public. Well, what are the elements of country and what are uniquely the elements of country? And I found that to be an interesting discussion. Yeah, because the truth is, things that are declared not of country music very quickly get adopted and woven into country music. So, you know, dating all the way back to the music's history when it was launched in the 1920s, you know, black performers and African-American and even African instruments were part of it. The banjo, for example, is just a drum head with a, you know, stem attached to it. Uh, So, you know, R&B tropes have been part of this music since its founding, famously in the 60s. Ray Charles recorded an album called Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music in which he covered songs by, you know, famous country singers and songwriters. Oh, I love you so much. It hurts me. And it was like the biggest blockbuster of 1962, despite the fact that it was never played on are, uh, excuse me, never played on country radio. Um, you know, funk beats were, you know, woven into some of country music in the 70s and 80s. Hip hop beats have been woven into country music in the 21st century. So things that are declared outside the walls of country eventually kind of get woven into country. You even, if I can touch on somebody who's made headlines this year, 2023, you even have in uh, 2010, uh, Jason Aldean, uh, a guy who's become a little bit infamous this year, rapping on a song called Dirt Road Anthem. Back in the day. 
day, Potts Farm was a place to go. Load the truck up, hit the dirt road. Jump the barbed wire, spread the word. Light the bonfire and call the girls. King and the can and the Marlboro man. Jack and Jim. So, you know, even rap has become incorporated into acceptable country music. So the goalposts and the, the gates of country music is, is an ever-shifting thing, really. Tell, just because you're uh, America's premier guru of the charts, just give me some sense of the chart performance of this song. Well, the reason I wound up writing about this for uh, the um, the Duke University Press series Singles, which is now three books deep, is that I wrote a lot about Old Town Road in 2019 when it was setting chart records. To this day, as of late 2023, it still holds the record for most weeks at number one in Hot 100 history. It spent 19 weeks at number one. And, you know, to understand that, you kind of have to understand how the charts work and how they've changed since the days of The Beatles or Madonna or Mariah Carey. By the way, by staying there for 19 weeks, Old Town Road defeated a record held by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men's 16-week number one hit from 1995-96, One Sweet Day. So obviously the evolution in the chart, which is something I go into great detail in the book, is part of what explains how Old Town Road was even able to do this. And, and to go back to something you asked at the top of this conversation, streaming, which was not a factor in the chart as recently as 15 years ago, is another major factor that, you know, makes it possible for a song like Old Town Road to not only go viral, but stay at number one as long as it did. So these are all elements in Old Town Road's success. But at the same time, one of the things that made me want to write about this song is that it was kind of the big conversation in music in 2019. It was, you know, legitimately the song we were all talking about, thinking about, memeing on, you know, goofing on. And it sort of deserved its 19 weeks at number one, I feel. The name of the song and the name of the book is Old Town Road. It is written by our old friend Chris Malamphy, columnist for Slate, host of the Hit Parade podcast. What an excellent pairing of material and author. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. And now the spiel. When you have a dysfunctional Congress that runs on last-minute deals and continuing resolutions, threats of shutdown, temporary extensions, and the standardization of brinksmanship, you expect every situation to appear dire and then get solved. Barely solved. But you move on to another day of dysfunction. There's always a threat of shutdown, always a fiscal cliff, always a nuclear option. And you, or I, as someone monitoring this stuff, doesn't discount the seriousness of the dysfunction. And I don't tell myself or you it's all going to be okay, but I do say somehow they find a way to find a way. With this in mind, I say now that I'm very, very concerned that funding to Ukraine will not find a way. And unlike the ever-present threat of a government shutdown, the stakes here are that brave, innocent people who need us will die, 
and horrible antagonists, enemies of our country, enemies of the Western liberal order will flourish, will roll through Ukraine, thus rolling through the very notion of an ally, will roll through human rights, will roll through stability in the world, but also will literally roll through Novopokrova and Prutny and all these other cities and towns where today free Ukrainians live. On the War on the Rocks podcast, an authoritative take on military matters, host Michael Kaufman had this assessment. Why launch another offensive operation across the Dnipro River right now? To show some kind of gains before the year is out, given that the three uh, main axes of advance of the summer and fall offensive weren't particularly successful. And I think to some extent it, it reflects a 2022 outlook that the West needs to be shown gains in order to sustain support for Ukraine, whereas I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe we're in 2022 anymore. 2023 war is incremental gains or tiny losses, not moving much. The Ukrainians throw their bodies and lives into this effort for, as of this year, proof to the West that their heroic story is still unspooling like the movie we've been delighted to see thus far. But it's actually harder than that movie. Repelling the world's third largest military is hard. And the lifeline to make it a little less hard, to make it possible, in fact, is us, is the United States. There is no better way for me to spend my tax dollars than on tangible items that tangibly push back the Russians, who if not pushed back, threaten to destabilize all of our allies in the region and the world. Plus the actual Ukrainians we're talking about, not an abstraction, people who will die if the Russians roll through. Funding, not fighting, not risking our blood, but spending some of our treasure is the right thing to do, the moral thing to do, the strategic thing to do, and somehow we're not doing it. The ask is not small. It's $100 billion in aid or what California will pay if they actually do wind up building high-speed rail, a little less than that, actually. But damn it, is that $100 billion worth it? It's not even as though the Republicans are against the expenditure, they say. They're actually for it, or they say they'll vote for it, and most have tepidly endorsed it. They're just so eager to use it as a bargaining chip to get asylum reform passed. But the problem is the Biden administration has said, fine, let's deal. Here are some reforms to asylum. Not good enough, say the Republicans. Okay, what do you want? Ask the Democrats. And when they get crickets in response, do they not want to spend on Ukraine? The Tucker Carlson wing of the Republican Party does say stop spending. But most hawkish pro-American fierce protectors of American sovereignty actually don't want to suspend aid. But I fear that might be the results. And the Ukrainians are seeking to do what they can to make what gains they can. Gains with costs more than our money, gains with their lives. I've said it so many times, but it's so true. U.S. domestic policies and politics might, not even policies, politics might very well imperil those efforts. This is serious and seriously dispiriting. We are the richest country on earth, I say let's spend another $30 per American to save an entire country that's worth saving, to thwart a true foe, to live up to our values. Like the conviction of a lot of our elected officials, it's pretty cheap. 
that's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Corey Wara. The senior producer is Joel Patterson. Michelle Pesca is CLO of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast for advertising inquiries. Go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperoo, Jeeperoo, Dooperoo, and thanks for listening.